Friends, as we come to this first reading, this one out of Galatians this morning, what I'm asking you to do is think of it as an evaluative tool for each of us. What is it that unites us? And what I am trying to explain is that I think that this scripture is one of those scriptures that can help define just that. John. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Holy wisdom, holy word. From this reading from Acts, we've, we've already dealt with Peter and what happened to him at that point of Pentecost. But the Spirit wasn't done with him. And now we have more in another realization. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men, sent to me from Caesarea, arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit led them to me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had fallen upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, 
he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they associated with the church and taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This is God's word. Tohu avohu. Can you say it? Tohu avohu. Go ahead, say it with me. Tohu avohu. Now do it very breathily, very much out of the breath. Ready? Here we go. One more time. Tohu avohu. That is what was present before the beginning of time. That was the word to describe the spirit hovering over the deep. It was that word of emptiness, that word that was as though awaiting for something to happen. And then God spoke. And as God spoke, the spirit descended and definition began to happen in creation. And the tohu avohu was replaced by order. It is an amazing word. And those of you that watched the other night, a couple of weeks ago, we watched the Rob Bell film here in the sanctuary that Sunday evening. And Rob says it a little differently than I do, but it was, it was still the same word. It is just an amazing, wonderful word. But the point is that at one point, God speaks and the spirit descends and from chaos, order begins to come. I kept thinking about this morning and as particularly thinking about those two scriptures, the Galatians scripture that talks so uh, kind of articulates those nine elements that help us understand what, what the spirit brings. And I'll come to, back to that in just a second. But also that vision of Peter as he suddenly has this realization that he doesn't quite have it all together quite yet. And another vision happens. And this time you remember the blanket where the sheet comes down filled with animals that for so many years had been considered unclean. But what was it? What was it that was said at the end of every day of creation? And it was... Was there any day where God kind of said, well, you know, I'm not sure that I quite have that one right? Any day where he said, well, let's, uh, I think we need to work on the zebra a little bit. Any day where he said, yeah, oysters are a mistake. <laughs> he will never speak in church again. <laughs> uh, the, the problem is we used to walk the beach, and I used to pick him up and just... You know, and I did it so often that now it's just like, you know, when you do too much of a good thing, but, but I'm sorry. I really believe tomatoes are a mistake, but, but that's a whole other story. There were apples gone bad. Uh, But the spirit descended more and more and more as we go through that creation poem, that beautiful story of creation and more and more and more order comes out of that. And the tohu of ohu begins to dissipate a little more every day. And that's supposed to be the one thing, right? We all believe in one God and one spirit, and we believe in one baptism and one Lord of all. Isn't that language familiar to you? So what in the world happened? What happened to the one spirit? What happened to the one thing? What happened to the descending spirit that was supposed to be defining chaos and making it order. What, what, what happened? 
And I keep asking this question. I, keep look, I kept looking back and forth, and just particularly coming down to Christianity. Aren't we all supposed to be of one mind? Aren't we? Aren't we? Well, are we? Look around you, friends. So I decided to Google something. I, I wanted to figure out how many Christians there were, how many denominations, and how many congregations. I was astounded at what I found. Are, are you ready for this? First of all, how many flavors of Christianity are there? Any guesses? You ready for this? 33,840. I'm amazed somebody counted. I mean, to be perfectly honest, how many flavors of Christianity are there in the world? 33,840. So then I Googled, how many congregations are there? 3.4 million. And you know what? If you walked in, I mean, Chuck and I can have this conversation. Have you ever served a church that was identical to another one? No, some more challenging than others, but, 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 but no church is the same. And so then, okay, how many Christians are there in the world? Professed Christians, 3.1 billion. 33,840 different flavors of Christianity, 3.4 million congregations, 3.1 billion Christians, and I bet if we walked through this congregation right here that every single one of us would have a different opinion about what it means or different experiences around what faith is. So what in the world unites us? What is it that we can turn to to say, here are at least one or two things that unite us as a people who seek to follow Jesus Christ. Kept thinking about that and then came to the Galatians scripture. Galatians lists these nine elements. These nine elements that are called the fruit of the spirit. And if you look, there is no S on the end of the end of fruit. You have no doubt heard this before. But what if this became that which could unite us? What if these nine elements became something for which we became very serious? I mean, look at these elements. The first is love. I mean, how many people have different understandings of love? But even in faith, there is a place where we can turn to figure out what love is. And I've said this to you before because I use this scripture In every wedding. And it was never, ever intended to be used as a wedding. It was intended to be defining of a body of believers of Christ. You remember that scripture, 1 Corinthians 13? Do you remember what it says? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not boastful. Love never fails. And the end of that, as Paul talks about a most excellent way, remember these last words, faith, hope, and love 
abide. Faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. So how are you doing on your love? I asked first service to grade themselves. Love. <clears throat> so if you want to know about love, we turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Love, joy. Joy is something that is so incredible. It, it, is so, it so just, just beats what it means to be happy. There is a depth to joy that, that is written about over and over and over again in the scriptures. You look at Philippians or even Galatians and you find these incredible scriptures of joy. Or if you go to the Psalms, look at what it is there. It is so much more than what we can experience on a daily basis unless we are in the spirit, shall we say. Love, joy, peace. When is the last time that you really felt any kind of depth of peace? Or how about patience? (laughs) I knew somebody who always said, don't pray for patience because you'll get four flat tires. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. All of those eight are expressions that go beyond us, are they not? They're expressions that, yes, we can feel within ourselves, but they are meant to be shared beyond ourselves, are they not? But then comes number nine. I hate number nine. Oh, I hate number nine. Particularly because Thursday is coming. Number nine is (laughs) self-control. When was the last time you used self-control on Thanksgiving Day? You know, you go and you have the big meal and you sit and then you just sleep, right? But self-control, self-control is that last piece of this list of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's that last piece that says to us, you know what? In order to implement all of these previous eight, we need to understand number nine. But let me take this one step deeper before I talk about the second thing. I am convinced at this point in my life that the only way to truly get to the depth of what Paul is talking about in this scripture is if we would speak the word and allow the spirit to descend in us. And so my question to you is, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time that you were open enough to say, spirit, descend upon me? Enter into me in a new way. Help me to gain those things that were there at the point of creation. Help me to love, to find joy, to be at peace, to be patient and kind and on through the list. Because these things work in conjunction with one another and build upon one another. And I'm pretty convinced that we can't do them on our own but we are also asked to share them with others. What would the world be like if that was the scripture that we sought to unite us? What would your life be like if that was your guiding scripture? And if you ask that question of the Spirit, The second thing that unites us is this. 
this table of grace, and there is no better way to say it than that. I wanted to give you some kind of visual understanding of what it probably was like that night. That this triclinium table, this three-sided table, was, was probably what it was like. This was so common a setup because it allowed those who were visiting to recline on their left hands and lean into the table and to be together there and, and get the idea that as, as they were reclining, when Jesus gets up to wash their feet, their feet are out from the table, and so it would be very easy for him to walk around with the bowl and the pitcher and the towel around his waist and wash each of their feet the lowliest of things that could be done for them. The head of the table is here. And so Jesus at the seat of honor would be sitting right here in the middle. And the seat of honor here on his right would be filled by young John, uh, the, the disciple that he kept saying, this is, this is the one that I love. Probably because he was so young. What is it about youthfulness that makes us just want to be around it all the time? Other than those obnoxious moments. But... But, but think now, because here on the left then in this other seat of honor was Judas Iscariot. And remember the words where Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter from across the table down there on the other end in his loud whisper, which was Peter, says to John, ask him who it is. And so now can you see John leaning in and placing his head on the shoulder of Jesus? And saying, Master, who is it? It's the one with whom I'm going to dip or sop the bread. And here is Judas taking a piece of bread and Jesus taking one. And in the bowl that sits right here, that's what happens. Down on the other end of the table in the other seat of honor is Peter who hates being there because he feels like he should be there. And probably on his, on his right is Bartholomew, maybe the oldest of the disciples. Maybe on his left is Philip, the other youngster. And then filling this side of the table are the others, Simon the Zealot, and all of those in this incredible diversity of humanity sitting around this table. But in the middle there are the servants who are bringing this beautiful spread for the Passover feast. So what is it possibly that could have united these 12, even Judas or Peter or Simon the Zealot? What is it that could have united them but this one with whom they were sharing this meal? This one that they had followed so intently for three years. And what is it that can unite us then that as we come to this table of grace and we break the bread and we take from the cup and receive these elements together that we are reminded once again that it's this one that we are to follow. This one that we are to study. This one that we are to emulate. This, this one. And no other. And this combination of these two elements becomes powerful for us. If we will but take it on. And of those 3.1 billion people of faith and those 3.4 million congregations and those 33,840 different denominations, think about how these two things 
if we took them on with intentionality and fullness and allowed the Spirit to descend with the spoken word of invitation. How maybe life in the world could look a little more orderly. So here's what I'm asking of you this morning. As we come to a time of communion after the offering, I'm going to invite you to come down the center aisle and the four of us will be standing in the area that is for the servants. Ours is to serve. And as you come down the center aisle, receive the bread and dip it into the cup. And as you take both of those elements together and you remember what this is about, the life of Jesus, I would encourage you to do just two things. One is, as you receive the elements and you go, don't quite go just down the side aisles. Stop and pause for just a minute at the table and ask yourself, where is it that I would be sitting here? Which one of these 12 most accurately represents who I am? Over the years when I've done this at the Monday Thursday services, the place that is most often stopped where that reflection happens isn't here. It's not here and it's not over there. Most often, it's here. The place of Judas. What is it about us that makes us feel like this is our place? I don't think that's how God sees us. So as you come, stop and pause at the table for a moment and just reflect, where is it that I would feel most comfortable sitting here? What place maybe most represents where I see myself today? And then maybe stop at the rail and kneel or stand and pray that this become a day of the Spirit descending on each of us. A new day where once again... We reignite with that relationship and remember that it is about love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. That those become the defining statements for us. Will you pray with me? God of creation, as we prepare for communion as you remember the offering brought for our sake, help us offer up not only our financial gifts today, but offering of ourselves in unity with your spirit that we would again remember and be guided by those pieces, that fruit of your spirit present in the life and the spirit and the actions of Jesus. Guide us again this day. All this in Christ's name. Amen.